And so here we are on week four of the Beatitudes. This has been a challenging and encouraging series for me. I've, I've never went through the Beatitudes. I've, I, don't, I can't remember actually going through the Beatitudes when I was growing up in church. I was raised Catholic um, for the majority of my life. I then got out of church for a little while and then ended up in a Pentecostal church, you know what I'm saying? Uh, came back to the faith there. And I don't remember going through the Beatitudes. And, um, and so this has been an incredible challenge for me. It's, it's really, uh, it's challenged my life personally. It's encouraged me personally. And so if you haven't followed along, that's okay. If this is your first time here, that's fine. And so the Beatitudes is found in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And it's known as the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher that's ever lived. And so this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gathers his disciples and there's a crowd around him and he sits down on a mountainside and begins to teach. And so the Sermon on the Mount opens up with these eight Beatitudes. And I like to call them blessed attitudes. It's just a, it's a, it's a good way to live. It's, it's where Jesus begins to unpack his, uh, his theology in a practical way. That if you want to follow me, this is kind of the way that you should live. And, and I, I, I'm noticing that there's a connection to these eight Beatitudes. And so the, the first three, if you weren't here um, the last couple of weeks, they really dealt more about emptying ourselves of things. So the first Beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And that's almost like declaring spiritual bankruptcy in a way. It says, I don't have what it takes to pay the debt that's over my life. I'm not trusting in my own spiritual works or my own like spiritual heritage. I'm, I am spiritually bankrupt. So I'm pouring myself out of trusting in, in my own works or in my religious duties because we know that that doesn't get us where we need to be. And so there's this emptying. I'm, I'm poor in spirit. Um, and then he goes on and he says, blessed are, are those who, who mourn. And so, so again, we're, we are emptying ourselves of ourselves. That when I know I can't get to God on my own strength and in my own merit, the natural response is to be upset about it. Like, you know, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm pouring out, again, it's the Beatitudes. We're emptying ourselves of the things that we inherited as human beings, right? The first Adam. Because these are all things, so there's this emptying that happens. Blessed are those who mourn. And then the, the third one, blessed are the, the meek. So that basically is just saying that, that blessed are, is the person, happy is the person who's humble. So I've, I've, I've poured out myself of all pride, of all self-reliance. You see the theme here? So the first three are really about getting some things out of our life. And then last week we turned a corner. Last week, which is the fourth beatitude, blessed is the person that hungers and thirsts. For righteousness and so now that I've emptied myself of pride in this religious um, you know trusting in religious works or a religious system now I'm ready to receive I'm humble I'm not trusting in my own works I'm not trusting in myself and so I'm hungering and thirsting now to, to for righteousness and I think that basically means it is now that I've poured myself out this is what I should fill my life with. This is the, the life that God wants me to live. And so the last three that we're going to look at are all things that, that are added to our lives. Today's verse, today's beatitude is the fifth one. I'm going to read it to you. Blessed are those who are merciful. So I'm full of mercy. 
My ha- happy is the person who's full of mercy. Why? Because they're going to live in the economy of mercy. The economy of mercy. If I had a title for this message, it would be the economy of mercy. That as I give out mercy in my life, I receive mercy in my life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And so next week and the week after are all things that God wants to pour into our life. Today is, is mercy. Next week is purity. Week three is, is peace, peacemakers. And so let, let, let's focus today, though, on this one word, mercy. I like the way that Billy Graham puts it. If, you wanna, if you've enjoyed the Beatitudes and you, you want to you know, go a little deeper, he, he wrote a book called The Secret to Happiness. Billy Graham. I mean, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, pretty amazing individual, filled up stadiums and led thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions to the Lord. And in this book that he wrote on the Beatitudes called The Secret of Happiness, he paraphrased this verse. This is the way that he wrote it. They which have obtained mercy from God are so happy that they are merciful to others. And so what is mercy? If I can define it, I believe it's just as simple as I could try to put it. It's not getting what we deserve, right? It's getting let off the hook. It's, it's when we've done something wrong in our lives and, and we deserve punishment and we deserve to get in trouble. It, another way I've heard it put is it's God's goodness extended to those who are in trouble. That's mercy. How many of you are thankful for mercy this morning? I, and I look back at my life and I can remember many times. It's funny that I remember most the times when people were merciful to me and they let me, you know, let me off the hook. I'll never forget this in fifth grade. My, my mom is here this morning, so I'm going to tell the G-rated version of this story because this is her first time hearing it. Uh, and, and so, so somebody, one of my friends, this is this was in elementary school, y'all, Baghdad Elementary School. One of my friends gave me something to hold on to at school, and it was in a bag, and it was green, and that's all I'm going to say. And, um, and, and so I, I didn't quite know exactly what it was. I knew that it was super like, you know, shouldn't be caught with it. This is a big deal. And so I just decided, sure, I'll be a good friend. Throw it in my backpack. I'll hold on to it. And we rode the bus together. He's like, just give it back to me when we get on the bus. I'm like, no problem. Got it. Well, fourth, you know, I'm, I'm, this is fifth, fifth grade, but it was around right, right before we got out of school to go to the bus. I'll never forget the, the administrator came and got me out of class and it was the walk of like fear. I knew it was about, I mean, I knew, I'm like, like this is not gonna end well. And uh, I didn't quite know what I had, but I knew it was bad and I knew that it, I shouldn't have got caught with it. And so all kinds of ideas were going through my mind. You know, I was like, well, I can just hit the bathroom real quick and unload this. Uh, and, uh, but I didn't, I, I remember I walked in to the principal's office and I don't wanna say his name because uh, he ran for the school board a few years ago. And, uh, <laughs> He sat me down and he said, uh, I need to see your backpack. I started digging through my backpack and he found what I, what I was not supposed to have. And he, he threw it on the table and he said, what are you doing with this? Tell, tell me what happened. And, and I just started squealing like a pig. You know what I'm saying? I was like, it's not mine. You know, I promise it's not mine. I'm, I was just holding on to it for a friend. And, and, and then like, he brought in reinforcements. So the, the, reef, the resource officer standing outside and, and if, if they would have prosecuted to the fullest extent, I don't think I'd be standing here today. I would have ended up in some juvenile center or something, and, um, but he didn't do that. He said, I believe you. I, don't, I, I think you just got mixed up in the wrong stuff. 
one time, Nathan, he said, I remember, one time I'm going to let you go. I don't want you to ever bring this stuff back again. And if somebody offers it to you, throw it away. Mercy. Now, could he do that every time? Probably not. If I would have came back in, into the, his office again that year with another package that I shouldn't have had, would he have let me go? Probably not. But I'll never forget like walking out of that office thinking, I am in debt to this man. And I didn't quite know what all had happened and how severe it was. But back then, it could have really, really got you in trouble. And so mercy. We love to receive it, but it's hard to give it. Shakespeare said it like this. The quality of mercy is not strained. It drops as the gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath, it's twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and it blesses him that takes. Tis mightiest and the mightiest it becomes, the throned monarch better than his crown. And so I want you to see this, this Beatitudes, and as we're turning the corner, we're talking about mercy. I don't think this is something that any of us were born with. Now, there's some people that have a disposition to be more forgiving. There's some people that just have a disposition to just, to just let things go. But what, what we're seeing here in the Beatitudes is like a heart renovation. After we empty ourselves of ourselves, now the supernatural life of God begins to take root inside of us. And so it's almost, it's like a vine. If you grow, if you've ever grown a garden and you, you've, there's things in that garden, these vines, it's like they'll, they'll grow out of concrete, right? It, it, it's like this life of God begins to to take over our, our spirits and our souls. And we no longer do the things that we would, we would normally do. And we no longer act the way that we would normally act. And so I, I, what the Beatitudes is doing here is it's not so much putting emphasis on actions as it is putting emphasis on being. So it doesn't say, well, blessed is the one who has mercy on someone one time. But, but he's talking about a way of life. That this life of God begins to fill you and, and, and you become merciful. When, when normally you would never do that. And, 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 and again, this is like completely countercultural to the world that we live in now. The harder you are, the more esteemed that you usually are. The more that you keep track and the more that you're unforgiving and the more that you are, well, if you do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. And, and we seem to set people up on a pedestal that live their life that way. And it just seems fair, right? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is, this is an upside down kingdom. And you're never going to naturally just let somebody go. You're never going to naturally just, well, you harmed me, but that's fine. I'll just let it roll. Like, this is what begins to happen when the Spirit of God fills your life. I think that Paul talks about it in Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, I haven't already obtained this life. I haven't arrived at my goal, but I'm, I'm pressing on to take a hold of, of, of Jesus, which has taken a hold of me. And so this life of God comes into our life, and then we grapple with it. We struggle with it. Because when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I don't want to let them go. I want to get as close as I can to their rear, you know what I'm saying, and make it incredibly uncomfortable for them. Or if they do the same, like I'm notorious for slamming on brakes when somebody rides my tail. 
I just can't help it. I get so angry sometimes when I'm driving. And, uh, and, and so I'm working on that, okay? Y'all pray, pray for, for me in that aspect. Uh, but I can get really mad. And so it, this is really easy in theory, but it's super hard to actually live this way. But the Christian life, the, the way that we come into this life, we're not meant to control the Christian life. The Christian life is meant to control us. And so the more that we surrender to the life of God, and the more that we surrender to the Spirit of God, the more that we're going to begin to act and live this way. And we can't think ourselves into this type of life. We can't work ourselves into this type of life. We can't meditate ourselves into this type of life. It's something as we surrender to God, as we surrender our hearts and our souls to him, that we find ourselves giving away mercy and showing mercy when naturally we would have never done that before. And so when it comes to mercy, there's, you know, it's, it's really hard to give it if we've never received it. And so we've got our history in play here, and we've got the way that we were raised and the kind of, you know, culture and environment that we grew up in. And if you grew up in a, in a very judgmental, rigid environment, then it is, this is completely foreign to you. To let somebody go, to have mercy, to, 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 to forgive them. And I'm finding that in my life that I have to first receive mercy before I can ever give mercy away. And so it's this economy here of mercy. It's, it's as we look to God and how merciful he is that, that we begin to give this mercy away in our own lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Somebody say, rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were, we were bad, right? We were dead in transgressions. We were packing all kinds of stuff in our backpack that we shouldn't have had. But it's by the grace of God that you've been saved. So there's a parallel passage to this beatitude in Matthew 5. It's in Matthew 18. And it's a parable that Jesus told. And I don't have time to, to read it all, but I just want to kind of give you the high points. So Peter, one of his disciples, comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus... I love this whole, you know, blessed are the merciful, let's let people go in our life and forgive. But how many times? Because the Old Testament said seven times. So, so, so how many times in a day, Jesus, if somebody cuts me off, do I just got to let it go and not give them something in return, right? And this is what Jesus says. He says, you know, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. So how many is that? I did the math for you. That's once every three minutes in a day. Once every three minutes. That's how much I want you to forgive, Peter. And then he tells a story about this king who owned a lot of stuff. And he had this man that had a very big debt that he owed to this king. And now when I say very big debt, again, I did the math for you. He owed this king $5 billion in that time. So if you take the money, translate it to now, this person owed a king $5 billion. And the king called for him and said, it's time to settle accounts. And he says, I'm going to sell everything you have. I'm going to sell your family. I'm going to take your children, and I want what you owe me. And said the man hit the ground and begged for forgiveness. 
just begged for a few a little more time to work the dead off and the king it said had pity on this man and forgave him how many of you would love that so you know what i'm saying like five billion dollars like that that's a big big deal right $5 billion, that's insane. And so that was a good day for this man and his family. I'm sure uh, he, he left skipping out of, the, out, of the, out of the palace. Well, he gets out in the courtyard of the palace, and he sees someone that owed him money, an employee. This person owed him, in today's money, $10,000. He walks out of the palace for giving $5 billion, and he walks out into the courtyard and finds a man that owes him $10,000, and you know what he does? He throws the man in jail, demands his money, demands all that he owes him and says, I'm just going to put you in jail. I'm going to have you prosecuted until you can pay me back. Well, the king finds out. And this is what the king says once he, he gets the man, he sits him down. It says he let him, he turned him over to be tortured. And he says, surely since I had mercy on you, Shouldn't you have mercy on the people in your life that owe you whatever? And I want you to see, where did this guy go wrong? And I've been thinking about this. Where did he go wrong? I mean, to, to be forgiven such a massive debt. What is $10,000 to a person that was forgiven $5 billion? And I'm sure he had some of it buried, right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sure somewhere, I mean, if he had that kind of cash and capital, he had assets, he had stuff. And so he received this forgiveness, but he didn't reciprocate it. He didn't give it. And so Jesus says something that's incredibly hard. And it's, he, he threads it into the Lord's Prayer that most people know, the Lord's Prayer, right? Right in the heart of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer is this whole thing about forgiving our trespasses as we... And then after that, in Matthew 6, Jesus, after he ends the Lord's Prayer, he visits, it's a, he visits like that topic again. And he says, I'll I, I tell you the truth. If, if you don't forgive your brother and sister of what they've done for you, your Father in heaven is not going to forgive you. So now what does that mean? Because to me, that sounds like earning forgiveness. I don't think that's what that means. Because if it was like an honor system, like a merit system, none of us would make it. But I think what Jesus is trying to say here is the person that has a hard time forgiving hasn't really seen the forgiveness of God in its fullness. A person that is, has a hard time being merciful with the people in their life, their brothers, their sisters, their family, hasn't really seen the mercy of God in, 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 in its fullness. It's not that God hasn't forgiven them, they just haven't received it fully yet. C.S. Lewis said it like this, that to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Amazing. This is a hard subject. And this is hard to do. And nobody prays for situations where they have to show mercy. Like nobody, I mean, I don't know anyone that prayed, hey, I want, I want somebody to wrong me, to hurt me, to walk out on me, because I want to exercise my mercy muscle. That, that is not anybody's prayer. Like, we don't like this stuff. Like, we are, this is dealing with the nitty-gritty of life. This is dealing with things that go way back when people have hurt us and harmed us. 
And so mercy, it's a big deal to God. And so how do we, how do we live this out in our, in our life? Mercy in action. Just a couple things and we're going to pray. So, so what is the opposite of mercy? Is it hate? Is it just being mean? Is it holding a grudge, bitter? I'll never forget what you've done to me. I'm going to take this with me. Keeping a record of wrongs. I think the, the opposite of mercy is just occupying ourselves with things that's just unimportant. Trivial things. That's what the Pharisees specialized in. That's what the religious elite in Jesus' day were so good at. They placed weight on people. They made it impossible almost to get to God. They made the, they, I mean, they literally made it harder than God made it. They wanted to add more rules. They wanted to add more regulations, right? They were kind of like the IRS or something. I don't know, right? Like they made it really, really, really difficult to like them. And so they put so much weight and strain on people that it was almost impossible to get to God. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, the ones who think they're better than everybody. They're hypocrites. You're careful to tithe, even on the tiniest little bit of income from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. He calls them blind guides. And this is what he says, famous saying, you strain at gnats, but you're swallowing a camel. <laughs> they just scrutinized everything that anyone did. You know anybody like that? Just, just like, I mean, if, you, if they're with you, don't look over, okay? Just look straight ahead. But just judged and judged and judged. And it was like they were God's police officers. They felt like that was their spiritual gift. They're God's police officer. I get emails from people like that. That, that, that they just like they it's the, their spiritual gift is to find what's wrong in someone's life like they don't already know we don't want to be like that we don't want to be a church like that we don't want to be a people like that because when you live in that economy that's the economy that you receive and I found that people that are the most that are just mean and judgmental a lot of times that's the way they talk to themselves and it, it, all, it could go back to something when they were raised or when they were a kid, but maybe they, just, they were raised in a real, real stern, religious environment, and so they treat themselves that way, and then they expect that out of other people. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. I'm reminded of a, of a guy in the Old Testament named Joseph. He was a dreamer. He was the youngest of all his siblings, and God gave him this incredible dream when he was just, just a little guy that he was eventually going to be kind of the head of the house. And he told his dream to his brothers and, and his sisters. And you know what they did? They formed a, a committee and said, we want to help you reach your dreams. We love you, Joseph. And that's not what they did. They took him off into the wilderness and threw him in a pit and left him for dead, put some blood on his coat and took it back to their dad and said, hey, Joseph, a uh, wild animal got him. He's dead. <laughs> they were jealous of him. 
And so they threw him in a pit, they left him for dead, and it just so happened that this little, uh, you know, parade was going by, heading to Egypt, and they seen Joseph in the pit, and so they took Joseph out of this pit where his family left him for dead, and said, well, we'll just sell him, in, you know, as a slave. So he ends up working for Potiphar, who was like the king of Egypt at the time, and, and, and so he, he, he gets sold into slavery, but he finds favor with Potiphar, Long story short, Potiphar's wife kind of gets the hots for him, likes Joseph. She calls for him one day, sends everybody out of the, out of the room and says, Joseph, bow, chicka, bow, wow. You know, I don't know what happened, but something like that. <laughs> she casts longing eyes on Joseph. That's what the... King James Version, longing eyes. If you know, you know. And, uh, and, and so he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Joseph, his character was whole. Come on, somebody. I mean, Joseph had it. He was integrated. He, he didn't do it. He made his mind up, not going to do it. So she grabs his coat again and then screams and says, hey, he tried to rape me. And then he gets, he gets thrown into prison. Talk about not having any kind of mercy shown to his life at all. Then he gets into prison, becomes friends with the, the baker and the butler, interprets their dreams for him, and says, hey, remember me when you get out of prison. They get out of prison, and then they forget Joseph. So this guy has had a tough life. He's had more give-up moments than he's had go-on moments. He had more people in his life trying to keep him down than, than help lift him up. And if that feels like a similar to your story, then, then, then you should, you're going to like this part. Because famine hits. Joseph gets out of jail. He's working for Potiphar again. He's like top of the totem pole, number two in command of Egypt. And, and it just so happens that the folks that threw Joseph in the pit and left him for dead are now coming to him for food to survive. What would you do? Think about that. Left you for dead. They're supposed to love you. Supposed to be there for you. You told them. You told them your dream, and then they turned it on you. Dream killers, right? Come on, somebody. So Joseph hid himself. His siblings were coming to get grain, and they didn't know it was him. He, he had on the makeup and the Pharaoh stuff. You know what I mean? So they didn't know that it was their brother that they had left for dead. That had now had their life in his hands. At any moment, he could have had them taken out. At any moment, he could have cut them off. It's an incredible story. And it was so troubling for Joseph that at times he couldn't be in the room with them. It says that he would run and he would weep. And I want to read what Joseph says. He reveals himself to his brothers. He shows them, he, he, he lets them know who he is. It's beautiful. And this is, this is what he says. You intended me harm. What you did hurt. He's not denying that. What you did was painful. You meant it to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What a story of the mercy of God. What an example of someone who didn't retaliate. And I think when it comes to showing mercy in our lives, 
One of the ways that we can do that is to not retaliate even when it's in our power to do so. Like, don't use all your power, right? Like, you just got that person that works for you, and you're ready to let them go. You want to fire them, but, but you keep having mercy on them. I, I would say you're more in the vein of the heart of God when you show mercy rather than just, than just holding somebody to the fire. Why? Because now you're entering into the economy of mercy. Now that you're sowing mercy, God says, I'm going to sow mercy into your life. James 2, verse 13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Why? Because mercy, somebody say mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Every single time, God will have his way. At the end of the day, right? He hasn't set us up to be the judge of the universe. Now, some people are judges, all right? And I know that's their job. And some people are prosecuting attorneys, and they have their place. But I'm talking about in our life, in the way that we deal with the people that we love and the people that love us, how are we dealing? Are we dealing in the economy of mercy? Are we dealing in the economy of mercy? Because I, I think that naturally, it's really hard. It's really hard to just not look at the mistakes in someone's life that they've made against you. It's really hard to get offended and to be hurt and, and to just let it go. And we're going to talk about that more at the, the end of the Beatitudes because I'm not saying that God is calling all of us to be pushovers and, and to just let people take advantage of us, and that's not the truth. He's calling us to be peacemakers. There's a big difference between making peace and keeping peace. Because if somebody's taking advantage of you over and over and over, it's time to put up a boundary and get that person out of your life. So I'm not saying you just let people go over and over and over. But what I am saying is, is my disposition, my, my character, am I full of mercy to the people in my life that I'm with every day? I think God has called us to stare at his mercy and to glance at the mistakes of others. I like to stare at the mistakes. <laughs> Come on, right? I like to stare at my own mistakes. I'm not just talking about the people around you. I'm talking about, what about you, right? How merciful are you to yourself? How kind are you to yourself? We can't let a lesson become a life sentence because we made a mistake one time. This is the last verse. We're going to pray. It's real quiet in here. Lamentations 3. I try to pray this prayer every single day. The steadfast of the love of God, it never ceases. We're living in a world that's running dry right now. The Mississippi River, she's a going dry. Come on, Hank Williams got that one right. Like, the world's running out of water. It's running out of resources. But the mercy of God is never-ending. He doesn't run out of mercy. He keeps giving, and he keeps giving. And in a world that is kind of decaying, and in a world that's running dry, and in a world that seems to be getting a little darker by the day, God on his throne is saying, my mercy is like the dew. Every morning it's brand new. You can't exhaust it. 
You can't overdo it when it comes to my mercy. I heard a story about a husband and wife that had been married for almost 60 years, a long time. And they had their families together and they were celebrating this life of love and faithfulness. And the grandkids asked the grandma, well, what's your, what was your secret? How did you put up with grandpa for that long? And she said, well, this is what we did in the beginning of our marriage. We made a list of our, of our 10 faults, 10 faults, top 10. And whenever one of us acted out, right, we, we, we got out of line and we did one of those faults on that list, we just automatically forgave each other. And so the granddaughter asked the grandma, well, what was on grandpa's list? She said, well, I don't even remember. I never made one. I just figured whenever he messed up, I'd forgive him and it was on the list. That's the economy of mercy. That's living in a, in a world where, because I know how much has been forgiven in my life, I want to extend that to the people that I love. And I think when it comes to, to the mercy of God, it's to set me free. <laughs> now, a lot of times, like, when we, when we think about unforgiveness and, and when we think about bitterness, and, you know, we think mercy is for the, the, the person that hurt us. It is. But the primary reason is it's for us. Because I've heard unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and thinking that that's going to make the other person die. <laughs> That nobody wins when we hold on to stuff. Nobody wins when we hold on to grudges. Nobody wins when we react and we, and we. And I think God has invited us to take the high road. And it's hard to do. But I think as we begin to do that in our life, that miracles take place. And it's like the spoon that we use to measure mercy as we give it out to other people is the spoon that God uses to put it into our life. And so I just wanted to say, let's keep a big spoon when it comes to mercy. Let's be forgiving. Let's let go of things. I'm not up here for a therapy session to talk to you about my problems. But I'm telling you, I've, hold on to, I've held on to, to like a lot of stuff in my life. And it was been up till recently. It's crazy how things can happen to you 20 years ago. And then it feels like it was yesterday when you bring it up. You ever had that happen? Or you see that person, that memory comes back. And I think what the mercy of God does is it goes into our heart and it goes into our soul and it sets us free from things that can hold us like a prisoner. And in Luke 17, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what was about to come. And this is the last thing I'm going to talk about and then we're going to pray. And he said that it would be impossible to live this life without becoming offended. Everybody's offended now. Have you noticed that? But it's what you do with it. 
Are you just going to like, you know, go live in your house and just be like a keyboard pirate the rest of your life and just argue with everyone that doesn't believe the same way that you believe and, and offended you? Like, no, like he said, no, 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 this is what I want you to see. The, the word offend, it's impossible to live in this life and someone not hurt you or offend you and you have to give mercy. But that word offend, it means a trap. And it's literally the bait that they would put in a trap to catch an animal. And so many people are trapped in a prison of offense, of something that happened to them or what someone said or didn't say, what they didn't do or they did. I mean, it goes on and, and I'm not discounting that. But what I'm saying is, can you open your heart for the mercy of God one more time? I'm not saying you need to be that person's best friend. I'm not saying you need to write them letters in jail if that's where they are. But can you allow the mercy of God to do a work in you? Because he wants to do it. And I think the biggest lesson that we live and we learn on this side of eternity is how to love people especially those that hurt us, especially our enemies and those that would mean harm to us. It's a hard lesson to learn, but I think when we're able to do it, it invites the blessing of God into our life. Who cares about them, right? God will deal with that. God will deal with them. I heard a Jewish rabbi say one time that God rules the world with two fists. One is mercy and one is justice. And God will make all things right one day. Can I get an amen? Let's do this, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, that you said set out like a table every morning. Mercy for our mistakes mercy for our failures mercy for our shortcomings you have no shortage of mercy in your in the world that you live in in the economy of god mercy flows freely and so lord today we come to you lord help us to receive that mercy fully in our lives god is there anywhere that we're living with like kind of a clenched fist Is there an area of our life that we're holding on to and it's painful and it hurts we don't like to talk about it? Is there an area of our life where your mercy hasn't fully come and flowed and restored healing? We pray like David prayed in Psalm 51, search our hearts this morning. Is there a reason I react around certain people the way I react? Is there a reason why I avoid certain people? Is there something in me still that's, that's I'm, I'm being held back by bitterness? Lord, search our hearts today. The Spirit of God, you said, will search us. And Lord, we want to live in the economy of mercy. We want to live a merciful life. Why? So that we can be happy. 
and we can be blessed and we can move past our past and we can leave the past in the past and get over our mistakes and what may have happened to us. Lord, help us to walk every day and stare at your mercy and to live with open hands, not a clenched up fist. And so, Lord, we receive that mercy today. We're thankful for that mercy, God, this morning. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.